Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Here we go, In the Booth. On a busy day with lots going on, coming off a basketball game, a little dip into football recruiting talk today as well. Lacrosse starting its season on Friday. Busy week, lots of things crossing over. Syracuse will look to bounce back on the hardwood Saturday with Boston College coming in at 2 o'clock. We'll have tickets to that game to give away on the show tomorrow. Today we'll rehash last night's loss against Florida State and uh, introduce to you some of the new recruits for Syracuse football. Have a uh, ACC network television show with Mike McAllister coming up. We'll shoot that up on campus with Coach uh, Dino Babers, John Wildhack, Andre Cisco, all uh, set to join us on that program. So we'll uh, head to that here uh, in just a little bit. You can watch that at uh, 4 o'clock. And we'll give a little tease for you with Mike McAllister of uh, 247 Sports and uh, his review of the recruiting. He follows football and basketball recruiting year-round, so we like to plug in on uh, what Mike's point of view is. A little anticlimactic now, the February signing period. It was always the first Wednesday in February that these coaching staffs announced their new haul. Now so much of that is taken care of in the early signing period in December that a couple things. You only get a few at this time of year, but the few you get are tend to be very specific picks. These are the type that fit in that category that Coach Babers is talking about that are impacted by what they did this past season, a 10-win season and a bowl-winning season. So we'll get to that and hear from uh, Coach Babers here in just a moment. But let's start with basketball. A loss last night to number 22 Florida State. First thing I hear when I walk in the station today, oh, tough loss last night. And it is. Every loss is is tough in a way. Uh, To me, you know, you don't want to lose games. You're going to lose when teams that are at least as talented, if not more talented, come on the road and play. That was as well as Florida State's played all year. And They've got a player in Fiondu Cabangeli who is really, really good. Short of what they have at Duke, I would say he might be the next most gifted player in the league in terms of his overall polish, his size, the matchup problems that he creates. He made eight three-pointers for the season coming into last night, and he was four for four. And if that's going to happen, first of all, we talked about on the broadcast last night, if he's taking those types of shots, to a degree he's doing you a favor. It's not that... He can't or hasn't made them, but it gets him away from the basket. And he's a basically a one-for-three shooter from three-point range, which is in line with his shooting overall, about a 50% shooter. Uh, so he's obviously better around the rim, as everybody is. Chances are he's not going to go four-for-four. Four. Well, last night he did. And Terrence Mann's a really good player, and he had a really good game. Syracuse's Top couple of players also had good games, but there wasn't the depth beyond that. You know the story by now, a 22-point first-half deficit. Syracuse in the second half closed to one, but uh, did not have enough to get over the hump. Coach Beheim's comments 
among along the same lines. We just got down so far. We had to use so much energy. We made an unbelievable comeback. We got it back to one from 20-some down, but I think we just ran out of gas, and they're really good. They made, they made the shots. They're not a great shooting team. They made 11 threes. They shot 50% from the three tonight, and you know, we shot 25%. Uh, but I just thought we used so much energy up trying to get back in this game. Uh, we literally, we had nothing really left at the end there. That is an oft-held uh, basketball cliche that the team that has to work so hard just to get back to even is spent by the time they maybe pull close or even in some cases take the lead. And that was apparent last night. When you get down 22 and everything was going Florida State's way early, they made every shot. They were 5 of 6 from three-point range to start. Uh, the Orange got out of timeouts, uh, burned three timeouts in the first half. One, there was uh, some question as to whether they actually wanted it with uh, a little more than four minutes to go in the, the first half on a uh, situation where it would have been the Orange's ball on alternate possession off of a loose ball. But they were left with very little recourse in some of the ways that you might be able to get a breather, stop the momentum, uh, because they were out of uh, timeouts. Uh, Bayham took his only second-half timeout with something like seven minutes to go. And uh, at that point, it wasn't going to be a, a one-possession game down the stretch, or if it was, they were going to have to play uh, without a timeout in that scenario. But uh, that's immaterial at this point, as it turned out to be really a class performance from uh, Florida State and an 18-point Syracuse loss in the Dome. O'Shea Brissett had his second consecutive double-double, and he, from a player's perspective, hits on that same theme, that the Orange had to play amazing basketball to come from that hole and just couldn't quite get all the way out of it. A lot, uh, they're a great team. You know, They know how to play. They know how to stay aggressive. And um, you know, a lot of guys on the team were really pushing and going for anything they can. So I feel like you know everyone on the team did a great job, um, you know, helping in some way. If it was you know running back, testing shots, or just getting a hand down deflections, um, I feel like Buddy and Ty did a great job at the top of the zone, and you know that really sparked uh, the run, getting steals up there, and um, you know we we made a great run, and I just feel like we put a lot of effort into that. A lot of the guys on the team. So we set up this game all along as one where if Syracuse wins it. They're not exactly on easy street, but uh, things line up for them. The, you you could see them uh, going last night to eight and two Boston College. Uh, the Orange will be favored against on Saturday. You could be nine and two, and from nine and two, you're in really good shape for what remains. Now that they're seven and three, that's different. I don't think it goes completely the other way, like the, the sky is falling, etc. But it now starts to make you think a little bit about the warts and the limitations of this team. And a couple of them were exposed in a way last night as the Orange uh, infamously got nothing from Frank Howard and uh, Pascal Chuku. They did not score in 32 combined minutes of playing time. Frank was not in the game. I don't know what it was, but he was never there. And uh, Pascal struggled. You know, when those two guys struggle, it's not good for our team. You know, 18 minutes and 14 minutes of zeros. So I don't know what happened, but they've got to be considerably better than that. Well, no doubt about that. They don't need to necessarily light it up, but uh, need to be in the game. Um, 32 minutes combined between your starting one and five. They had zero points. Chuku didn't get a shot attempt. Now, the Orange don't throw the ball to the center, but for the center to go even 18 minutes and not get one shot attempt means that he didn't have really a putback chance or a drop-off or anything along those lines that could have gotten him going. Frank Howard 
appeared to be a different guy for stretches last night. We know he's you know not been immune to the silly turnover at times, but he had a couple last night that really made you wonder just what was going on. He was in some kind of funk that he couldn't get out of, and uh, I'd be confident that at some point he can. Uh, he's coming off a couple of, of decent games, but uh, last night just not effective, and uh, the Orange could have used something there. So they fall with that loss to 7-3. Uh, and three. Here's Coach Bayheim's breakdown of exactly why it's been a little harder uh, for Frank Howard this year. We talked about this related to his injury at the start in terms of his uh, lack of explosiveness. Uh, this, to me, is among the most concerning things about the team right now and about uh, uh, from what Coach Beheim talked about last night. I just coach him. He said, you got to do you know, what he can. You know, I'd like to see him, obviously, be better. He can't get by people. They're a pressure team, and uh, he can't get by them. He just gets side to side, then he has to throw it, and there's nobody open because they aren't coming to help because he can't get by. So that's concerning because he has been able to get by people. He has been able to get to the free throw line uh, in his career, certainly last year, but uh, not right now. Even last night, the, the fact that he was 0 for 3 from the free throw line to me is something that might point out maybe, maybe he wasn't there mentally, so we can't speak to, to uh, Frank's state of mind, but uh, certainly wasn't effective. And, and uh, I think from a, a Syracuse perspective, if you're a fan, you hope he shakes out of that going forward. Well, what about Jalen Carey? Jalen Carey can get by people, but hasn't shown a ton of that outside of the first game of the year uh, where he exploded at Connecticut at Madison Square Garden. He did come into the game and, to me, looked like he was purely a facilitator, a move-the-ball-around kind of guy. I don't think he has a ton of confidence in his shot right now, and he got officially just one minute of playing time. So the uh, the pushing of the button of Jalen Carey for right now is uh, not netting a lot either. Um, and does that change? Is there an opportunity for him to to step in and, and have a role? Uh, time will tell on that. This is an important game against Boston College this weekend. The Orange won by just six Saturday up there. Uh, not Saturday, but Wednesday of last week uh, in Chestnut Hill. This is a Saturday game at 2 o'clock, and uh, it will be a test uh, for Syracuse for sure. Kai Bowman is an awfully, awfully good player. He can get by anybody, just like Tyus Battle can get by anybody. Those are two uh, similar players in that uh, first meeting. Battle had 31 and uh, Bowman 21, but they figure to uh, put on another show on uh, Saturday. We'll give away a couple of pairs of tickets to that game uh, tomorrow on this show. All right, a little taste uh, quickly of Coach Babers before we get to Mike McAllister and the themes, I think, for signing day this time is that the Orange are bearing the fruit or getting the rewards of winning games on the field. And what it has done is now when the Syracuse assistants walk into high school coaches' offices across the country, they don't represent a 4-8 and eight team. They represent a 10-win team. We're not a 4-8, and 4-8 eight, and eight, uh, ACC team that took last in the conference anymore. Where maybe you're going to take some stretches on some players because some other players aren't interested in you. You know, when you win 10 wins, when you get 10 wins in the ACC, 
first of all, you need to act like it and you need to recruit like it. And I think the young men in the community and the people up and down the Eastern Seaboard can see the strides that the program's making. And we just want to make sure that we upgrade ourselves a little bit, that we are going to have opportunities to go after some maybe some more highly recruited athletes. And we want to make sure that we give those young men every opportunity to come join us in our program. So they're getting into a better class of athletes. So it's a lot of these same teams, same areas, but now instead of getting the seventh best player on a power program in Florida, you might be getting the second or third best player on those teams. And that's what you're talking about. doesn't mean that they necessarily shake out any better, but uh, of this group of uh, new signees, there's at least three players that have popped up somewhere on one of these recruiting services as a four-star. Syracuse isn't historically at least lately, had a ton of four- and five-star recruits, but uh, that's sort of the class they're starting to get into. And the four players that were signed in this period, including a quarterback from Connecticut who just was picked up, those are the guys that are coming in since, you know, Babers had said all along, the second half of this year's football season, the second half of this fall, where they went on to really have a tremendous campaign and uh, make it to a bowl and win a bowl that's what you were using to close on this type of guy i think the 10 wins and the win in the camping world bowl over uh, an old rival west virginia i think that the four signees that we got in february had a lot to do with that i thought we got into some crucial battles down to the end and i think that to those young men can see maybe down the road where this program is going and maybe it helped them to make a choice they needed to come up uh, up north with the uh, with the northern people up here up north in the ACC instead of maybe going somewhere else. So, you know, that's the way they look at it. You're talking about a couple of Miami guys that came, a, a player. There's a couple that actually decommitted from the University of Miami that wound up at Syracuse with the the coaching change there. Uh, so the we'll hit it with Mike McAllister. The geographical breakdown I always find interesting, and there's you know one kind of central Pennsylvania type one or two Long Island, New York types, two New Jersey, two Connecticut. But then you do have the ACC footprint in there, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia. So, uh, and even a recruit that is from Manville High School in the Houston area, which is uh, one of the top high school programs in Texas and for that matter, all of America. But they uh, come up following uh, Kirk Martin, who was hired last year as the quarterback's coach. So that's how it's composed. We'll talk about it with Mike McAllister when we continue. Phone calls always welcome at 315-437-7644. 4ESPN44 gets you on the show today. This is In the Booth brought to you by CH Insurance. We thank them for that on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth presented by CH Insurance. In your corner. Rocking and rolling in the booth on a rainy day here in the middle of the week. Good to have you along with us. A hump day, as it were. Tomorrow, not only a pair of tickets to the Boston College game to give away on the show. We'll have Mike Waters before that. Also, Jim Beheim show tomorrow night live at uh, Carabas. Hope you can come out and join us for all of those. A little bit later today, we'll be up at the football complex putting on a television uh, dog and pony show with uh, Mike McAllister of 247 Sports talking Syracuse football recruiting. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm great, man. How are you? Are we still going? I always thought it was 24-7, and when I bring it up with you, you say it doesn't matter, and it's sometimes 247. Have Have you, with your company, come to a consensus there on what <laughs> we should be calling it? 
I've been going with 24-7, so I think I think that's kind of the consensus, but right. I also don't think anyone's going to correct you if you say 24-7. Well, I always thought it was 24-7. Maybe they could put a slash in there or something. Yeah, I'll, I'll get the graphics guys to work on yeah. that. <laughs> doesn't doesn't work uh, for the website. 247 doesn't mean anything unless it's like a area code, but I don't think there's any 247 area code either. Not that I'm aware of. No. So uh, let's get into, speaking of area codes, I said I, I always kind of look, not that I – I really think it matters a great deal, but I'm always intrigued by recruiting geography. I think it tells you a little bit about the coaches, about their approach, about how they sell the program. Um, so I guess that part of it matters. To me, I, there's there's things that I think are different priorities. W- what do you make of, of what we see here where uh, you look at uh, five Floridians, three from North Carolina? Uh, to me, that there's an ACC footprint here. There's also a little bit of places where Syracuse is always recruited from. And I know Canada is uh, thought to be an untapped resource by Dino Babers. Yeah, it is. And, and some of those pipelines are kind of traditional ones, as you mentioned, you know, uh, going down South into Florida, um, obviously, you know, what they're doing in the Northeast and then Canada is something they're trying to establish. But the thing that stood out to me the most, and you, you mentioned that there was a three from North Carolina and they got one from South Carolina so that gives you four total players from the Carolinas, and that's a direct result of uh, more influence from uh, Steve Stenard, defensive ends coach. And, and you know, the, that's his primary area is the Carolinas and Georgia, and we know they got Stephen Linton from Georgia as well. And, again, as you mentioned, ACC footprint, uh, very key for Syracuse to get back into those states because they've kind of uh, been on the outside looking in for several recruiting cycles. But now that they've got a guy who's doing a lot of really good work down there, you know, they can start targeting some of the, the higher-end prospects in those states a little earlier in the recruiting cycles uh, than they had in, in previous years. So uh, that's the biggest thing that stood out to me was the job that Stenard has done to get Syracuse into, uh, you know, two or three states that haven't been uh, huge, hugely productive for them on the recruiting trail recently. Well, there, there's reasons that it hasn't been historically. One, Syracuse doesn't play there. They don't have alums there. They don't make connections. They haven't had reason to make connections there in the past. One, two, it's picked over by everybody, right? There, there's a lot of competition there. So to me, what it suggests that if they're going in and getting guys, that means they're beating Carolina, State, Duke, Wake. You know, Wake. You would think Wake Forest shouldn't be a recruiting rival of Syracuse, but everybody in the the ACC is. And so to to win head to head and maybe get guys out of there that. You know, South, South Carolina is recruiting that, that type of player. Clemson, you'll have the occasional uh, head-to-head matchup with. Uh, that, to me, is, is the most positive sign of that. Absolutely, and that, that goes back to the experiences they've had in Florida, kind of a, a similar thing. Now, those states aren't as talent-rich as Florida is, but a similar thing that you're going to have a lot of competition in those states for those players. And speaking of Clemson, they did go – head-to-head with Clemson on two recruits in this uh, in this cycle that kind of came down to the wire of those recruitments. Cooper Dawson, uh, who Syracuse recruiting as a defensive lineman, we know all about his uh, viral <laughs> signing day ceremony that uh, that was a big deal, and, and you know, the, they're coming up to the Clemson game, so that's really cool. But uh, Clemson offered him a scholarship, and they wanted him. They wanted him as an offensive lineman. Syracuse bring him in as a defensive lineman. And then uh, Mikey Dukes, a running back from South Carolina, who ended up picking Clemson over Syracuse, but they went head to head with with Clemson, and they did win one. And um, as you mentioned, 
when you're going in and into those talent rich states, even getting a, a kid from Texas, you know, you're going to be competing against other power five programs. And the more you do that and the more you win those battles, then obviously that improves the, the talent and the depth that's on your roster. Mike McAllister is with us, uh, Syracuse uh, football and basketball recruiting analyst at uh, 24-7 Sports and uh, a guy who uh, really grinds on this stuff throughout the year. So uh, we appreciate his insight on this new list of names and people that have come in. Another of the recruiting trends here is not only are they getting maybe a, a slightly higher class of player in the program in the last couple of years, certainly sparked this year by uh, winning on the field. Let me actually stop on that real quick. Michael, do you feel as though there's a latent effect here. The, the way Dino Babers has pointed out is, look, the February guys this year are coming into a 10-win program. He thinks the December guys next year will be coming because of its, it was a 10-win program. So are they already well ahead for what we would expect for December? I, I would think so. Um, I mean, they've already had a junior day, and they're going to have another one in March. And so they've they've – done a really nice job of targeting uh, very high-profile recruits, prospects that are of the four-star caliber, and uh, building those relationships early. And the longer you're at a program, the longer that Dino Babers and his coaching staff is here, then the more they can develop those relationships early, not only with the kids themselves, but with coaching staff so that they feel comfortable calling, you know, with Dino Babers saying, hey, I got this kid who's going to be really, really good. You need to come down and get on him early. Those types of relationships are very important. And so Syracuse is developing those. The early signing period helps because you can get some of those guys that might be wafflers and take visits late and all those things and be poached from other programs, et cetera. You prevent some of that. Um, so all of this plays into it. And as Dino mentioned, you know, getting those guys in early, having the 10-win program. And one thing I'm looking at, um, actually, you know, putting something together is 24, uh, 24-7 sports has a composite average, meaning the average basically on a scale of, of 1 to 100 of the quality of the recruit that you're bringing in. And if you look at since 24-7 sports has existed, since the recruiting services have existed, which really started around 2001, the four highest average player, meaning the average ranking, average rating for an individual player that you're bringing in that class, the four highest are the four classes that Dino Babers has brought in. And, and so that, that tells you the job that they're doing off of four and eight, four and eight, four and eight. Now they've got the 10 and three. You keep that up consistently and that ranking is going to go even higher. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And it shows that somebody must know what they're doing in terms of making those ratings and the coaches for that matter, developing and using those players because you just said that was another since 01. Well, how many things happened in the football season that we said since 2001, since 2001, first time to win 10 games, to make that quality of a bowl, to you know those types of, of deals, to go unbeaten at home. Um, that's uh, on par with, uh, with what this team did this year. Let's hit, uh, Mike, if we can, the, there's a couple things here. There's eight early enrollees, which is important, and then there's four – assignees today let's hit that group here uh, what what stands out here you know the, the there's the sectionist of course of the quarterback David Summers a, a kid that uh, we understand was interested in Maryland he's from uh, Connecticut he comes in they get the defensive lineman Munoz who's a decommit from Miami so those are the types of name brands uh, that they're winning players against 
Absolutely. Those are, are two of the more interesting recruitments in this cycle in that Summers was committed to Maryland and then they had all of that turmoil with their recruiting, recruiting their, their coaching staff, I should say, uh, with DJ Durkin. And then, you know, when the whole thing turned over, he was looking for another home and he had already visited Syracuse, was already on Syracuse's radar. He had visited the previous junior day. So again, the relationships that you establish early end up coming to fruition. Syracuse brings them up and we know all about this offense and how attractive that is to, to a quarterback. So you get a kid who's very smart, had multiple power five offers and, um, you know, is extremely accurate and fits the pro seems to fit the offense in the program very well from, from all angles. And then Munoz rarely do you have, and it might be one of the, the few instances this has happened since the early signing period is very new, but one of the few times when you have someone who signs with the program early and then within a matter of weeks gets out of their national letter of intent and ends up going somewhere else. And I know there was a coaching change there, but the defensive coaches were um, basically the same as right. the group that he committed to. And so and that's um, not just to interrupt quickly, that's Manny Diaz who left you know, Miami and came back after Mark Richt uh, retired. So uh, Diaz, after a, two-minute stay at uh, Temple comes back. So what you're basically saying is the, the people that were recruiting him all along are the ones that actually rose to power at Miami. Right, and, and but from his perspective, something changed in, um, you know, sort of the feel of the program, and so he wanted to, to explore other options. And to Manny Diaz's credit, they let him out of his letter of intent, and then, you know, Syracuse, because of relationships they had with coaching staff down there, was able to get him up on campus and uh, get a, a big-time commit who had, you know, multiple power five offers, including one in the ACC at a position of need. So um, it all goes back to all those relationships that you build. And, um, you know, it, it shows the quality of the player that they're bringing in. Last little taste here, Mike, let's hit on the early enrollees and apparently no coincidence too, that you have, this is not just for quarterbacks anymore. It's not just one guy, a recruiting class uh, for Syracuse. There's already eight players that are Syracuse, they're already Syracuse University students, which means they're around for spring ball and they've got a head start on your typical freshman uh, going into next year. And that also includes a couple of the highest rated players that are also linebackers, Mikel Jones and Lee Koba. And we know that linebacker is a position where they're losing a couple of starters in uh, Whitner and Guthrie. So they've got opportunities to try to find a role as true freshmen. We, we saw the impact that having guys in there in the spring can have for their true freshman season. Think of a guy like Trill Williams, who had a very strong true freshman season. He started in the spring, and you know he came in early. So you know it helps because you get into the strength and conditioning program, which means you can develop your body a little bit, mature it a little bit more than a traditional true freshman would. You get into the playbook. You get used to life as a Division One athlete, which you know the the off the field side of it, I think, is is often um, not discussed enough in terms of how it can impact a player coming into a college atmosphere. So all of those things, it's it's a great thing for programs to be able to do. It's a great thing for players to be able to do, and it helps them get on the field a little bit quicker. Okay, Michael, uh, looking forward to uh, making a little TV magic with you here in a little bit. So uh, get into the makeup room, and we'll see you up uh, on campus here in a few, okay? Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Okay, Mike McAllister from 24-7 Sports. will be uh, doing a recruiting show that you can check out on uh, Watch ESPN today at 4 o'clock. Dino Babers, John Wildhack, Andre Sisco to give a little feel for last year's recruiting class and I think it kind of worked out okay with him as he comes in 
and immediately as a freshman All-American. So that's some of the recruiting stuff. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do it at 4 ESPN 44 315 436 437. I'm sorry, 437 7644. Get you on the program. Do we care when we come back? A couple of baseball news items in the offing. That's in the booth on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care anymore. Los Angeles Rams cornerback Nickel Roby Coleman is appealing the fine that he received for the controversial no-call helmet-to-helmet hit in the NFC Championship against the New Orleans Saints. By saying, hey, what are you yeah. talking about? You didn't if call I actually it. hit it, I would. there would have been a flag. Uh, I believe there's quite a bit of precedent for fines on plays that weren't called penalties at the time. You ought to just move on. Nothing take, to see here. Yeah, take take the uh, 50 grand that you made by making the Super Bowl. Uh, Cut it in half. <laughs> right. The fine's 26000 Okay, well, there you go. I mean, that's, that's basically what happens, and uh, it's worth a try on the appeal, but he will not win that appeal. Are you sick of this story yet? The yes. Giants have reportedly entered the mix for free agent Bryce Harper, which I already thought they were one of the very early leaders for him. Yeah. Uh, according to John Heyman and Randy Miller. Yeah, I just want it over. Just sign these guys, um, Harper, Machado, any of them. I mean, they put up on the, the screen last night the all-unsigned free agent team, and you know you could win a lot of games with that team. Dallas Keuchel, uh, people like that. I mean, I love baseball. I, I don't super enjoy necessarily the the hot stove aspect here or people switching teams every year or what have you but I, I'm anxious to know where's Bryce Harper going to be and is it going to be a one year thing or long term what are the Yankees going to do uh, sounds like uh, the Rockies are going to uh, go in big on Nolan Arenado which was maybe the Yankees plan uh, should they not get Machado and if they aren't going to get Arenado do they you know go harder on uh, Manny Machado so uh I just would rather have it over with. Spring training's about to start, and uh, these guys should all be with teams. In a move that's been anticipated for several weeks, the New England Patriots have named Greg Schiano to their coaching staff. I think it's defensive. Is he defensive coordinator? They don't really use that title there uh, under uh, Bill Belichick. Matt Patricia was the de facto defensive coordinator. This Brian Flores had that position as the defensive play caller and has gone on to uh, the Miami Dolphins. And this is no uh, big surprise. Uh, everybody knows that uh, Belichick and Schiano are tight. Belichick... Uh, among those coming to his defense when Shiano, uh, for a minute and a half, had the Tennessee head coaching job, and that didn't go well because of uh, Shiano's long-ago connections to Penn State, etc. I think those are two guys that are of like mind. Shiano wants to be in the pros. He's, by all accounts, a, a good football coach, so we'll see how it uh, plays out with him. I was also shocked to see that the 12th president of the United States is now coaching the Cincinnati Bengals. There's yes. A, do, some, do some Google Zach. searching on that one. Zach Taylor. Yeah. That was a, a pick six category recently. Uh, and also, on June 14th, 2019, the the Durham Bulls are going to be called the Lollygaggers in a uh, in one of those gimmicky yes. nights. It is they... gimmicky. Uh, this one I like. I've been very grumpy old man about a lot of these team nicknames, the permanent ones and the temporary. The uh, I think this is a temporary. Actually, it might be a permanent one. That, is it permanent or temporary? It's hard to tell anymore now. But they do it for the excuse to make the logo and the T-shirt and the whatever. So there's a team in Michigan called the Travis or Traverse City Beach Bums. That's uh, Eric Devendorf's uh, neck of the 
Woods, and uh, they changed their name to the Pit Spitters because of the Michigan cherry industry, and they've got the pictures and kind of a cool logo and some different things there. I think some of those have gone too far. I've been on the, the record with that. I do like lollygaggers because it's another extension of the whole idea of the uh, Durham Bulls and the uh, movie uh, Bull Durham is tremendous, and this is one of the great scenes. You lollygag the ball around the infield. You lollygag your way down to first. You lollygag in and out of the dugout. Do you know what that makes you, Larry? Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. So lollygaggers. And what I was talking about this in the office uh, the other day, if you really want to, these promotions to me, when you do them right, you take them all the way. Right? So we know the uh, Syracuse Chiefs in recent years went to the Salt Potatoes, you know, cool logo, whatever. Take it all the way. The Rochester Red Wings become the Rochester garbage plates or the plates so they're not infringing on anybody. They bring out the food items. They have lots of different types of plates. They make a whole big deal of it more than just a quick, it is a money grab. It's not a money grab just specifically on hats and t-shirts. It's a money grab in a lot of different ways and makes it a, a special deal. So if the Durham lollygaggers carry it all the way, I'm thinking you could have special giveaways or prizes for people that show up like just a little bit late after the game and <laughs> you know guys that get thrown out at first base, you know, make a big deal of it. Because you lollygag the ball around the infield. You lollygag your way down to first. So that's a good one for the lollygaggers. All right, when we come back, a couple of things here, including some proposed uh, rule changes in baseball or some modifications there. Polly's got uh, NBA trade nuggets for us. You know how much we love those approaching the NBA trade deadline. That's when we come back in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance. In your corner. NBA trade deadline uh, quickly approaching. Tobias Harris on the move to the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, although he's a Long Island native and a one-time person of interest on the recruiting scene for Syracuse. Not one we care about much, but Pauly has another name we know headed to Philadelphia. Malachi Richardson heading home to play for his hometown Sixers. He is a Trenton, New Jersey native, and I think uh, didn't love his lot in life in uh, Toronto. Drafted by uh, the Kings, traded to the Raptors. He was playing in the G League, doing pretty well uh, with Toronto, but uh, wants to be in the big leagues, and uh, we'll see if that works for uh, for him in Philadelphia with Elton Brand, the uh, general manager there, the 76ers, making that kind of deal. So good luck to Malachi. Oh. You're a Sixers fan, right, Paul? Do you yeah. watch them closely? Yeah, I watch them whenever they're on. I, I don't like buy the NBA package or anything, but... Right. They're on more frequently than they have been for the past 10 years when they stunk. <laughs> uh, the uh, Also, uh, some other bad news. Antonio Brown looks like he's deep in it right now. <laughs> the the, uh, the re- police reports have come out. So, not looking good for him. And No. Well, and I'm sure, if, I don't know that whole story, but if, if it's what I hear it is, it's not looking good for a lot of people. And, uh, and that's football aside right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's switch gears to baseball. I want to make sure we got a couple of these items in before we wrapped it up. Uh, Jeff Passan and others. Uh, Jeff's now at ESPN and several other baseball writers and reporters putting out a couple of the things uh, that are proposals right now between Major League Baseball and the Players Association that they will uh, decide uh, here soon on uh, you know, well, springtime. That's, that's good. Right on it's like golf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, on a few 
proposals related to cleaning up the game, changing some stuff, pace of play. Uh, the one that you know comes up from time to time that I don't really need is the uh, sounds like it's inevitable. The universal DH. Hate it. You know. I'm all for the DH. I remember like in 10th grade when you learned how to write position papers, mine was pro DH. It was all I knew at the time. I you know, grew up a Yankee fan for it. I can list all the reasons why it's good. I don't need to see pitchers hit or whatever, but I'm also totally fine with the two different leagues. I think in the National League style of play, you use your full roster. There's a little more strategy involved. Guys come in, but it's mind-numbingly boring to watch 80% of the hitters or pitchers try to hit because it – a lot of them can't even get bunts down, which is also kind of frustrating. Um, so it doesn't really way. add to the game. I go the other way. Get rid of the DH altogether. I think they should. Uh, I don't know about that. Pitchers, they won't. They won't do that. Yeah. That's absolutely not going to happen. Because the reason they're talking about this is not so that the leagues are the same. It's so that there's jobs for those types of players, which tend to be veteran, maybe end of their career type players. That's why they're talking about also bumping the roster uh, to 26 uh, players and insisting that. No more than 12 of them be pitchers, so you're looking at 14 position players uh, on a team. You know, that's that's put forth by the PA. These are to create and protect jobs. As as far as the way the game is played, pitch clock totally fine with. That's one of those things that you forget even exists once it's established. I think you can make rules that uh, make that work. I do like the idea of a two, or right now the proposal is a three-batter minimum for relief pitchers. I think that's a way to speed up the game, and it also makes those pitchers be a little more complete or the managers have to be creative. You're not going to bring a guy go, to go just left on left and leave after They're taking one managing completely out of the game. They're, they're not, getting rid of the bad, the pitcher hitting. They're making the, the Yeah, not necessarily, bad. but that's a, a whole other discussion because people would say that's happening with the idea of analytics mm-hmm. and scouting and, and you know, by the gut manager, your guy from Bull Durham, you know, that uh, that's going out because you just create the lineup based on what the computer says and you uh, roll them out there and you take your chances. So I believe, you know, that is happening to a degree, but I also think some of this stuff with the relief pitching, to me, makes the game less appealing. When you bring in seven guys in a row that throw 100 miles an hour, that is interesting on one level, but it also it create it, you know, run production goes way down, and I think the ball's not in play as often, and that to me is what takes a little bit of the of the fun out of it. I, I would like to see whatever they need to do to make more balls in play, and one of those would be actually calling the strike zone the way it's supposed to be called. That's uh, not, not an actual proposal that you put on paper in these types of meetings, but that to me would be one of the things that would really help the game is call strikes and and move things along. There's obviously already more strikeouts than there's ever been, but it's it's not purely because of, you know, it's not purely because of uh, the way it's umpired or whatever. It's because, you know, guys are out there taking their hacks. I like the single trade deadline also. You get rid of that later in the year one that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> You're talking about the not, but this one is saying before the All Star break is what they're talking yeah. about, which would be two weeks prior to where it is now, or three weeks prior. Uh, the All Star breaks in mid July, and the trade deadline is the end of July, and that's only what they call the non waiver trade yeah. deadline. Well, that will stop the waiver the players right. getting tossed out there and pulled back every year. Right. Uh, that one I don't know. I like the fact that the trade deadline's a bit of a, a holiday or a, 
you know, a restart of the season. I think it's led to a bunch of weird things. Like even now you're talking about free agency. People say, ah, we'll worry about it at July 31st. And uh, wherever these team players sign, if they sign short-term contracts, we can uh, pick them up once we see how our season plays out. So no right or wrong answers to a lot of that stuff. And uh, starting to hopefully feel like baseball. Rainy kind of misty day today. Back tomorrow on the show with Mike Waters talking hoops. Tickets to give away as well. And pick six tomorrow. Recruiting show coming up at 4 o'clock on Watch ESPN. Thanks, everybody.